Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The church has been at its best when Christians are loving, committed to believing the best about others, and diversely unified around the gospel. Conversely, the church is at its worst when it is sectarian, quarrelsome, graceless, and loveless. And it's been that far too much of the time. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Mark, chapter 9, verses 38 through 41, in a message titled, All for One and One for All. Now, here's Pastor Brian. In this little incident that we read about here, there's so much that's not only valuable, but it's really vital to the health of the church. It's really vital to the health of each of us individually as believers to to really understand what it is that Jesus is teaching us here. Now, one of the biggest problems throughout the long history of the church has been the divisions that exist inside the church. So this is, this is like an insider message today. So we, we are going to talk sort of family talk here today because I, I think, you know, hopefully all of us, or most of us, we want to see the kingdom of God expand. We want to see people impacted by the gospel. We want to see lives changed. Uh, we want to see God work. But we ourselves can be a hindrance to that if we have the wrong attitudes. And so we want to just consider those kinds of things today and and be able to check our own hearts, to be able to check our hearts personally, to be able to even collectively as a as a congregation or even beyond our congregation as a as a family of churches or as a tribe. I'm going to talk about uh, tribalism in a moment. So we can evaluate ourselves and make sure we are in the place that God wants us to be in the place where he can bless us and through us make us a blessing to others. Historically, the church has been at its best when Christians are loving, kind, gracious, forgiving, slow to judge, committed to believing the best about others, magnanimous and diversely unified around the gospel. When the church is like that, when believers are like that, it's been a good, good season for the church. Conversely, the church is at its worst when it is sectarian, small-minded, petty, quarrelsome, graceless, contentious, divisive, hypercritical, and loveless. And it's been that far too much of the time. And so this can't go on. And and the story that we're reading here really shows us, Jesus teaches us in just a few simple words what our attitude is to be, what it is not to be, and what it is to be. So 
The difference is between Jesus and his immature apostles. And notice I say his immature apostles. This is early on in the experience of these men. They're in the process of learning and growing and Sometimes they're getting it and sometimes they're not getting it. And here's a point where they didn't get it. And so Jesus corrects them. So it's a difference between Jesus and his immature disciples. Uh, this is also the difference between those who are kingdom minded and work to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace among the universal body of Christ and those who can't see beyond their sectarian noses and are at constant war with everyone who doesn't conform to their very narrow and rigid interpretation of the faith. So there are unfortunately all kinds of people in the church who have a very small and narrow view of everything and, and they, they want uh, conformity to that if they're going to accept you as a fellow Christian or somebody that you, know, you can embrace in the Lord. Now, this kind of narrowness, I can speak with clarity and authority on this for the simple reason that I have been there. I have been there. There was a time in my life where I was pretty much critical about everything. I remember my mother who is a believer as well. And I was probably all of 24, 25 years old at the time. And I remember a phone conversation with her. I, I, I can still remember this today. And uh, she was telling me about some book she was reading or some Christian that she was listening to. And, and I was warning her. I told her, Mom, oh, that's bad. You know, they, you shouldn't be reading that. You shouldn't be listening to that. And I remember she said to me, she goes, now, Brian, you know, how is it that at such a young age, you seem to know so much more than everybody else, and you seem to think that you've got it all right and everybody's got it all wrong? And I thought, Mom, that's not very nice to say. <laughs> to your son. But you know what? At the time, I thought, well, my poor mom, she just doesn't get it. But you know what? My mom was actually right. So there, there were many years in my life where I, I saw things through that very narrow, narrow lens. And, and so I want to talk about that today because what I can tell you is it was immaturity on my part. And, and listen, we all can be immature. There's just part of natural life where we're immature, right? But, but what is the objective? The objective is to grow and become mature. And the same is true spiritually. There's a place where we can be immature. In the passage that we just read, the apostles at this stage are immature. They think they're doing the right thing. They think this is what Jesus wants us to do. Somebody's helping somebody else in Jesus' name, but because they're not part of our group, we're telling them to stop it. They thought that that was a great idea. And so they come back to Jesus, and John speaks up and tells them, hey, this is what we did. There was a person casting out demons in your name, and because he wasn't part of our little group, we told him he shouldn't do that. We told him to stop it. And I'm sure at this point, if Jesus had an iPhone with an emoji, have <laughs> you ever seen that emoji where it's like the palm in the face where you're just like, oh. You know, I can't, I can't believe it. That, that's the one Jesus would have put right there. It's like, ah, oh, 
I, you know, I can't believe that you guys think like this. No, no, no. This is not the attitude that we are to have. And, you know, it, it, at the time it seemed right to them. Of course, this is what Jesus would want us to do. But Jesus says, no, this isn't it. I, I was with a friend the other day and we were walking along and he was telling me his own story about just how God at a certain time in his life was bringing him out of a deep, deep pit. And he was telling me about the, the two people, interestingly, that God used to, to minister to him in those days. And there are two people, they are two people who uh, he said, you know, he wouldn't even agree with much of their teaching even today. And I certainly wouldn't either, but I said to him at a certain point, I said, yeah, I, of course, I preach many sermons and use those two people in my illustration. But he said that it was those two people that God used to prevent him from killing himself. And I thought, wow, okay, we have to be really, really careful here when it comes to our open criticism and judgmental attitudes toward God's servants who we don't agree with on maybe a number of things. So, but let's get this picture. The church is in a sense like the nation of Israel. So the nation of Israel, some of you know, it was, it was one nation, but it was made up of 12 tribes. And each of the tribes were distinct. Each of them were different. Each of them had their own purposes and, and they collectively, all of them together, made up the nation. And when each tribe was doing its own distinct thing for its own or, or you know, God's desired purpose, the overall effect was God was being glorified. See, God wanted to use the children of Israel to reach the other nations. And as long as the tribes understood that we're, we're 12 distinct tribes, but we're part of one, and God's going to use the, the one collectively, use us all collectively to you know, be a witness through the one. As long as they had that attitude, things were good. But the moment they regressed into tribalism, and the moment they got to that point where they started warring amongst themselves, the whole witness was lost. And, and the church is somewhat like that. See, the church is made up of many tribes as well. There are many different groups. There are many different denominations. Now, now some people think, and, and even critics of the church and of the faith will point out the division. So they'll say, oh, you Christians, you know, you can't even agree together. There are so many different denominations and so forth. And they'll sometimes rattle off the number of denominations and, and yet what they don't know that we should know is that in reality, all Christians believe essentially the same thing. We just have minor differences on mostly relatively minor issues. But we all believe underneath the same thing. We all believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We all believe that God the Father sent him into the world, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life, that he died in our place to take away our sins, that he rose again from the grave on the third day, that he ascended to heaven, that he's going to come back again. We all believe that. That's what a Christian is. 
And all of these denominations that some people look on and say, oh, look at all the divisions among Christians, that's not a totally accurate picture. But unfortunately, sometimes that is the reality. Even though we have the fundamental, essential truths in common, we get divided up over non-essential and sometimes very unimportant and even petty kinds of things. And that's what we can not keep doing. We cannot fall into tribalism. Now, I was just in New York. I came home last night from New York, as a matter of fact, and I spent the week with 30-something pastors And we stayed in a facility that is owned and operated by a Pentecostal group. In our group, we had Calvary Chapel guys, because we're Calvary Chapel. We had guys from more sort of just other non-denominational groups. We had some guys from uh, Christian Missionary Alliance and from Presbyterianism. And we all had a fantastic week together of fellowshipping and seeking the Lord. And so we met in a place that was owned and operated by the Pentecostal church. On Wednesday night, I attended a fantastic service at a Presbyterian church. And we all were gathered around for the sake of the gospel to see how God might use us to further the gospel throughout the world, New York City, these these different places. And when I have that kind of experience, I walk away just thinking, Lord, this is so good. This is the way that you want it to be. And I'm more and more convinced of that now than I have ever been. When I first came back from England, which was 19 years ago now, and people would ask me this question, what's God speaking to you? What's on your heart? And I would always respond, maybe maybe with a few things, but I would always respond with this, and I still do today. What's on my heart is that God is calling his people to come together. He's calling us to get rid of our sectarian mentalities and to rally together around the gospel. Now, back 19 years ago, when I would say that, it was something that I could sense, but I wasn't necessarily seeing it. But I can stand here today and tell you that not only do I sense it, but I see it now. I see it happening. And it's such a wonderful thing. But, but we have to fight for this. We have to really labor, as Paul said to the Ephesians, we have to put forth every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit because the enemy wants to rip us apart because his strategy is divide and conquer. If he can get us all divided up against one another, then it just makes his job much easier. Now, I do think that those who are mainly responsible for the sectarian attitudes and the divisions that exist in the church, I do think that those who are primarily responsible are not you sitting and listening to the teaching, but us who are teaching you. Because you're basically just picking up what we're communicating to you. And I think that we have been very, very guilty of communicating a sectarian mentality where oftentimes instead of teaching and preaching God's word and preaching the gospel, we're criticizing the church down the street or criticizing the movement over here and giving you reasons to be suspicious about them. And that is so wrong. And I have done that. 
I have personally done that in the past. And I like to look at it in my immature days. They just went on much longer than they should have. But it's something that God has dealt with me about. It's something that God has convicted me over. It's something that I have, I have had to repent of. And so just understand, I'm not standing up here today pointing the finger at you saying, you know, you're responsible for this. Maybe you've taken it and you're doing a similar kind of a thing. But unfortunately, I think it's, it's been, it's learned behavior. You've learned it from leaders and it's the leaders who, who really need to repent of these things. So I want to give you a few examples and I have a couple of things I want to read to you. And it's interesting to me because like I said, in my mind, you know, I've, I've been thinking ahead about this message for a few weeks because we've been teaching some other things. And it's really interesting how this week just a number of things came my way and I could take them as a coincidence maybe or I could see them as just stuff God has brought my way in order to help illustrate what I'm talking about. So yesterday I was uh, scrolling through my Instagram and I came across an Instagram by a friend of mine who pastors a church up in Central California. And the Instagram was a picture of him with another person, another guy. They were standing together. You know, they took a nice picture together. And then he had a few paragraphs of who the person was and why this picture was significant. And so um, let me just read to you what, what he wrote under this picture. Just imagine me standing here with another guy, you know, arm in arm, smiling at you. Uh, that's what the picture looked like. But here's what it said. It said, Tom, that, that was the other guy. So my friend's name is Brian. Brian Post, Tom met Jesus in a movement known as the Vineyard. I met Jesus in a movement known as Calvary Chapel. The Vineyard and Calvary Chapel movements were once unified one in the same Jesus movement. In the early 80s, sadly, a split occurred between the two before, he says, either of us got saved. Bitter tensions mounted, so I'm told. So much so that in at least one instance, I'm aware of two biological brothers were divided into separate camps. Into the early 90s, when I planted our church and Tom began his leadership role at the Vineyard. That split, primarily concentrated in Southern California, had fermented into deep suspicion and or straight up condemnation toward the other. I remember attending many CC conferences where teachings and discussions were frequently laced with strongly held negative views toward Vineyard. Having come into the CC movement after the split, I had always found it hard to relate to those strong opinions on this matter as, I, as it wasn't my war. While in this soil and without any clear awareness of it, a pernicious self-righteousness began to take root in me simply due to my affiliation with the correct tribe. In the early days of our plant, I was young, arrogant, 23 years old and still in desperate need of discovering the historical vastness of God's kingdom while unlearning the harmful suspicions uh, that enslaved me, disallowing me to extend genuine friendship to good brothers like Tom. And he goes on to talk about this beautiful reconciliation and thing that's good. So what he's talking about, I know all of this because I lived through all of this. So back in the 80s, Vineyard and Calvary Chapel used to be one. And then there was a split among us. There was a difference of opinion. There were different theological views on certain things. None of them had to do with any essential doctrine. 
They had to do with more uh, practices and things related to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the differences were probably significant enough for us to separate. But as I reflect back on it now, I think we really did a poor job of navigating that separation. Because rather than agreeing to disagree agreeably and just recognizing that, okay, you guys are going in this direction, we're going in this direction, God bless you as you go, we started warring with one another. And I think the most aggressive assaults came from our side against the vineyard to the point where in in some of our Calvary Chapel churches, if a person was playing a vineyard song, uh, we were suspicious about that. Like, you know, you shouldn't play that music. And so this, this is the kind of thing that I'm talking about. This is, this is uh, an actual illustration, as I've said here. This is the kind of stuff that I know breaks the heart of God, breaks God's heart. I have four kids. I love each one of them separately and, and passionately. And the one thing I will not allow any of them to do is talk about the other. They want to talk about their brother or sister. It's like, oh, nope, nope. Don't want to hear it. (laughs) I don't want to hear that. And I think with God, our father, when he sees his children slandering one another and and judging and, and being critical and all this, this grieves the Holy Spirit. This is the kind of thing that grieves the Holy Spirit. So this is the kind of stuff that we just cannot keep doing. We can't erase the past, but we can surely seek our best to not repeat it. And and as we go forward, as we want to see God do a work, as as we're praying, you know, that God will pour out his spirit. You know, sometimes I think it's so funny how we, you know, God pour out your spirit. And we're just thinking like pour out your spirit right here on us, just us, This is the holy huddle, Lord, and everybody else out there. You know, it really doesn't even work that way. Anybody who's ever studied the history of revival or outpourings of God's spirit, this is what you find out. God pours out his spirit on all of his people. When I was young, I I came out of uh, a nominal Roman Catholicism. And in my younger days, I was a huge critic of the Roman Catholic Church, and I was always looking for an angle to preach against it. And... I did outgrow that, thank God. You know, I have a really good friend, one of my best friends, as a matter of fact. He's been here. He's filled in for me a while ago, Richard Cimino. Richard and I got saved out of similar kinds of backgrounds. He got saved out of Catholicism. I did as well. And we've been friends for almost 40 years. And for for whatever reason, I just never heard all the details of his conversion until like six months ago. We were in a conversation and he was telling me the details. And here was the interesting thing. He said, you know, I was led to the Lord by a Roman Catholic. I was discipled in my Catholic church. Somebody introduced me to Calvary Chapel. So I started coming over and listening to Pastor Chuck and taking his messages back to my Catholic church and sharing them with everybody there who were all so excited about Jesus. Now let's join Pastor Brian as he shares about this month's resource from Back to Basics. 
Hi, Pastor Brian here. We are hearing so much in the culture today about transgender identities and so forth. And so the book that I want to recommend is going to help you think through that. The book is called Embodied, Transgender Identities, The Church, and What the Bible Has to Say. The author is Preston Sprinkle. Preston has a PhD in New Testament theology, but he's really made this an area of deep, deep study and expertise, does an excellent job. This is something that we need to know how to navigate. So once again, the book Embodied by Preston Sprinkle, it will help you to know what the Bible says and how to navigate around the issues of transgenderism. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Embodied, Transgender Identities, The Church and What the Bible Has to Say by Preston Sprinkle. You can order the book Embodied by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Embodied by Preston Sprinkle to help you navigate the issues surrounding transgenderism. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.